Welcome back to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm your host, Umbreen Khan. Christians are not the only ones fasting right now. March 1st marked the beginning of the 19 days of fasting for Baha'is. It's a relatively small but growing faith community in the U.S. Researchers estimate that there are between 85 to 100,000 members across the country and an estimated 7 to 8 million around the world. Its adherents are relatively new practitioners because the tradition began in the mid-19th century in Persia. In the 1960s and 70s, Baha'i communities began to flourish across the United States. Many adherents were drawn to the message of racial equality, along with messages about the oneness of the divine, gender equity, and the absence of clergy. It's also a belief system that acknowledges and celebrates the contributions of other world religions, which are viewed as a continuum of revelation. It was those messages that resonated with Washington, D.C.-based documentary filmmaker and interfaith activist Jack Gordon. I spoke with him by Zoom on day three of his fast. He shares the evolution of his spiritual journey. In my family, it's, it is by default an interfaith family. Mom was not Jewish, but wasn't, you know, practicing in terms of a Christian. My father's side of the family is Jewish. And so I think whether by intention or just because that's, that's, those are the people that, <laughs> that each other picked, um, they have an, more of an intercultural family, I think, mm-hmm. than an interreligious one. We went to synagogue every week. Um, we were in Hebrew school, bar mitzvah, the whole bit. My mom was very laissez-faire. Her mother and sister and the sister's family became Baha'i in the uh, 70s. Wow. 60s and 70s. And so we had sort of this trifecta of things like religiously and cultural identity was very strongly Jewish in the household. Um, but then we had these Baha'i relatives. And growing up, I think there there was really more of an interest in just people, you know, being an, having an openness to people and being interested in the cultures of different people rather than some sort of an intense, like, philosophical questioning about spiritual matters. You know, we, we were Jewish because our, our forebearers were Jewish, and, that's, and you continue the traditions because that's what you do in the family to keep that continuity going, less because of some sort of dedication to God. When I was in college and I was curious about the the Baha'i faith. And that, I think, opened up a whole other realm for me. So when I decided that I I had studied enough of the Baha'i faith to feel like, okay, I, I believe these teachings. This, this is a very world-embracing teaching. Um, that was pretty fundamental. I felt like I, I saw my home in the Baha'i community, which looked like everywhere in the world, made up of people from all around the world. Even though I didn't necessarily have a concept of God coming into it, the description of God and that divine power, I think, made logical sense to me and was very inspiring to me. Jack, how did your parents respond to your decision to embrace the Baha'i faith? I mean, for my mom, it was really easy. You know, I mean, she has a very loving relationship with her family and she had no qualms with it because I think it was something that she respected and she found value in and saw that it was a, a really positive force in, in her family members that are Baha'is. I think for my dad, it was it was more challenging because of this idea of quote-unquote conversion, mm. you know, leaving something. 
but in my experience, I wasn't rejecting anything. I felt like I was building off of it. And in the Baha'i faith, the tradition doesn't ask us to leave behind our identity, right? My cultural identity is very firmly Jewish. I, I, I couldn't ever take that off of myself. You know, it would be like taking off my skin. It would be impossible. I think it's, it's more about being able to frame what is that Jewish experience for me culturally? How does that fit with the other religious teachings that we see in the world? And, and I think that the concept of oneness that is central to the Baha'i faith, it helps frame that for me in a way where there isn't a feeling of conflict or disagreement. Um, whereas I definitely felt growing up that so I, I felt a strong suspicion towards anything that had to do with Christianity. Um, ironically, because my mom and members of our family are, are Christian, you know, in terms of culture or upbringing, what have you. But Christians, if you look at the history, are always trying to oppress the Jews and convert them, um, you know, or tell them that they killed Jesus and that they're going to hell and all these sort of negative things. And that was your experience growing up. That was my experience in terms of my my perspective my dad experienced anti-Semitism growing up mm. that, that, um, you know, that, that anything really had to do with the church was phony. And so that was something that was definitely a chip on my shoulder that I felt like I had to get over. And, and I, I was grateful that I did. And I feel like once I sort of went through that experience, um, it made understanding the, the ideas of the Baha'i faith a lot easier because I, I didn't necessarily have a resentment towards the person of Jesus or the divine message of Jesus, just like I didn't have any sort of prejudice against Muhammad and, and Islam. I could make a distinction between the acts of Christians as people and the message um, of Jesus as a prophet. So the Baha'i Faith is, first and foremost, it's a world religion, it's an independent world religion. So that means that it's not a, a sect of, of another religion. Baha'u'llah very clearly and boldly claims to be a messenger of God, right? So if you're getting involved with the Baha'i faith, those are the terms. <laughs> and, and It's a and, non-negotiable. Yeah, it's a, it, is, it is not a uh, mixed salad of a bunch of different traditions, a grab bag of, of different ideas and philosophies, as sometimes it's, it's portrayed because people are looking at sort of a surface level and not necessarily engaging with this, I think, much more profound and difficult concept of oneness, right? So oneness is, is really as simple as that, that everything is one, that the message of God is, is one message. And the things that change are the, the superficial things, the time, the place, the language, the culture that it's been revealed in. So um, Baha'u'llah, who it's not his given name, it's his title, means the glory of God. And he, um, he shared his message in the mid-1800s in what was then Persia, what's now Iran. So he's, his claim is to be the most recent divine teacher or messenger of God. Not the last one, not necessarily a final one, but one that sort of continues this line um, from Abraham, Moses, Jesus, Muhammad, and, you know, frankly, many other prophets and messengers that are probably lost to history and, and we don't know their names or 
or um, the places in which they, they were teaching. But the call of Baha'u'llah is really to recognize this oneness of humanity, to put away our, our superficial prejudices, um, our racism towards one another, which, which is obviously so, so long kept us separate. The exercise of being a Baha'i is a continual practice of refining my understanding of this idea of oneness to shave the edges and the, the roughness off this, this feeling that, that we are separate from one another, um, that there is this up, us versus them mentality in the world, but actually that instead our true nature is, is one that we're totally interdependent and interconnected. You know, you're, as you're describing how the message of oneness drew you in and it felt like it was in alignment, it sounds like, with the monotheism of the Jewish tradition. Am I hearing that correctly? That Was there an alignment there? I mean, again, I, it's... It wasn't like that. It wasn't like that because I wasn't thinking about it in theistic terms growing up, mm. you know? I was thinking about it in cultural terms. Like, it's very... It, I wouldn't say it's easy for me to accept the oneness of humanity. But but I had been given a blueprint and a series of experiences growing up, which reinforced for me that we are, we are a family because we welcomed people into our family and felt part of their family, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Even though they came from many different places around the world. I want to hear about your prayer life and the ritual specifically sure. of fasting. It's so funny to reflect on these things because... Part of me wants to say, oh, I didn't grow up praying. Um, but that's the opposite. <laughs> that's that's a total lie because I actually said prayers every single day. They were just in Aramaic and Hebrew, and I didn't really understand what I was saying. I knew how to make the sounds, but I didn't feel the connection, right? I didn't feel the connection with the divine. I felt the connection with my family. That was the thing that was that was emphasized as important. So I would say that when I encountered the Baha'i faith, when I began to study that more, the act of saying prayers and saying prayers in a language that I understand and can sort of wrestle with um, was was a new experience. And I think my life now as a a Baha'i is very different because in a certain way, my daily life revolves around prayer Mm. it's it's the thing that i prize most at the beginning of the day my day is largely determined by how close to the beginning of the day i've said the obligatory prayer what are the obligatory prayers in the baha'i faith the obligatory prayers in the baha'i faith actually it's interesting you have a choice of three um and and it also builds in one of the things that I like about the Baha'i faith because it recognizes that not everybody's circumstances are exactly the same. Some people have very intense jobs where they are are busy from sunrise to sunset and and it would take a lot for them to stop during the day. And so there is a short single line basically prayer that if you say it with earnestness and, and, and pure intention is equal to fulfilling your ob- obligation for that day to say that prayer. What is it? Will you share it with us? 
I bear witness, O oh my God, that thou hast created me to know thee and to worship thee. I testify at this moment to my powerless and to thy might, my poverty and to thy wealth. There is no other God but thee, the help in peril, the self-subsisting. That one is supposed to be said between noon and sunset, but the long obligatory prayer is the one that I actually have connected with the most. And I have at different times committed it to memory, and then I fell off of, of doing it regularly, and so I lost that. And so I'm actually in a process right now. One of my goals for, for the fast this month is to try to commit it again to memory. You just mentioned the fast, so let me ask you about that. We're in the 19th day fast of the Baha'i tradition. It started on March 1st, and it goes for 19 days. What does the fast look like for you? If you first thought about it on February 28th, then it's going to be a rough go <laughs> to just <laughs> slam on the brakes and try to reorient your day and your life around not just the physical part of not eating, but also the spiritual part of the fast, which is the more important one. And I find that it's it's better to start saying, up, oh, you got like two months lead time, start making some changes, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, I try to go to bed earlier. Um, I try to consume less media. And I think in my prayer life, I try to um, think about what are the things that I'm going to study. For the last couple of years, I've picked a text to, to read. I have a a compilation that I'm reading this this time around that's called Toward Oneness. It's a new um, compilation reflecting on um, what the Baha'i writings have to say about overcoming racial prejudice. Mm. So that's one thing that I'm that I'm I'm trying to focus on during the fast. The moment that we have rushed to finish um, a meal, we've lost the spirit of what the fast is about. Mm. The, the fast isn't about punishing ourselves. The fast is about freeing ourselves from a certain materialism. And on another level, having empathy and connecting with people who don't have the privilege of picking up food or water whenever we want to have it, right? So that for me, I think is the more important lesson to be mindful of the type of food that we're putting in our bodies. That's why in the morning, I don't like to have a lot of food because I don't think I need to like stuff a ton of calories inside of me to say like, oh, I'm not going to be able to make it through the day without this. No, if I have water and just hydrate myself, the body will be able to function. And if I've changed my routine for the day, then I think I will physically be able to sustain myself through the day, you know, take on less things. The point is that we need to encourage ourselves and each other to be better people, both in our individual ways that we're carrying ourselves and be kind to ourselves um, and work on, on growing as people. And then also in our interactions with other people. So if we're going to be mean to people, then you might as well eat something and just be kind to people. <laughs> What kind of practices do you have or what kind of practices do you typically observe when it's not a pandemic? Right. Yeah, well, I would say that 
the Baha'i community is very much that. It is very much a community. It is very social. It's very outward oriented, welcoming people of all sorts of different backgrounds. And, and interesting to think about it in the context of the pandemic, because last year, the lockdown happened right towards the end of the Baha'i fast. Mm. And in a certain sense, it felt like the fast never ended because we never had that celebratory event closing the fast, which is the Baha'i New Year, Nauruz, on, on the spring equinox, March 20th or 21st. Um, we never gathered, you know. And so for a long time last spring, it just felt like that energy of introspection and isolation in a certain sense just continued uh, really up. It, it's continued through the, the whole year because we're not out of it yet. And so I think this year's fast has a different quality to it, has, has some different themes, just like I think the celebration of Passover will have a different meaning. What do these periods of reflection and sacrifice mean when so many in our society have sacrificed so much, made the ultimate sacrifice in a lot of cases? There is so much that we are struggling with. I'm curious how you're adapting. Before the fast started, I had been mulling around this idea of playing with Instagram Live as a medium to have conversations, um, particularly with interfaith friends and, and collaborators. And to use that space as a, as a place where we could have dialogue and also invite people to participate in this text that I'm reflecting on during the fast, particularly with people who don't really have a familiarity with, with the Baha'i faith and haven't engaged with its texts. And there isn't a lot of, you didn't have to read the verses from the, from the, the week before. You don't have to know about what the main story is. It's a few lines and it's, you know, mystic in nature and talking about our, our soul and, and, and our place in the universe. And so I'm bringing in different friends like yourself to just reflect on, on what the passage is and hear some new ideas and sort of mix it up and, and bring in some, some new perspectives. I'm really looking forward to it. Well, listen, before we close, are there any last reflections or thoughts that you'd like to share? The show that, that we created, Interfaith-ish, is really about having these explorations together to be curious about what it is that other people believe and have a willingness to engage with that and to be surprised by the places where we have commonality and to be okay with the places where we have differences. Jack Gordon is a Washington, D.C.-based interfaith activist, documentary filmmaker, and the host of a community radio program and podcast, Interfaith-ish. That's broadcast from WOWD Tacoma Park Radio. That's all for this week's show. This week's producers are Kimberly Winston and Kevin McCarthy. A special thanks to our founder, Maureen Fiedler, and MC Yogi for our theme music. Wherever you are, I hope you are safe and well. And we'll see you next week. I'm your host and executive producer, Umbreen Khan.